as I mentioned, I've been sitting with the idea of uh, simplicity lately and um, that what that means, what that practice is like. And the other day I saw a post about Ajahn Chah, who was a Thai forest monk, um, and apparently he died about 31 years ago this week. He was in Thailand, and uh, he was Jack Cornfield's teacher, so he has had a real impact on um, Western Buddhist, the insight tradition that has been brought over um, in the last 50 years. Um, and his, his teachings are so simple, yet so profound. Um, really simple. He was just like, this is, this is what it is, just do it. And there's a, there's a wonderful book, a collection of his teachings called Food for the Heart. And if you, it just, it, the essence of it is just let go. I mean, it's just, just let go. I know Bhikkhu Analio has said the same thing. The essence of the Buddhist teachings is let go. So I was, I was reflecting on that and thought I might talk about that. And then I saw on Thursday an article, someone posted a link to an article in Salon. And the title of the article is The Cult of Expertise Comes for Buddhism. And the uh, subtitle is A Moneyed Caste Has Co-Opted Buddhism and Folded It Into Its Technocentric Worldview. And so I read that, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, it was a really interesting article, and I, I really appreciated it. And they used Rick Hansen um, and his new book, Neurodharma, as an example. And I love Rick Hansen. I really appreciate him. I've sat with him. Um, I love his book, Buddha's Brain. But I really found it interesting, um, their uh, perspective. And they talked about how his new book, Neurodharma, has eight pages of blurbs at the beginning. You know, all the, 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 the very famous people writing a paragraph or two about how excellent this is and, and Rick's pedigree and his expertise in this field. And, um, I, and the point they were making is that they have um, people, there has been a cast, a class of experts has been created in the world of Buddhist teachings, or at least Western Buddhism, um, Buddhism in America or Europe, perhaps, um, that is now just kind of, these are the people who will tell you what is, how you do it, how you don't do it. And uh, it's, they talk about how the Dharma has been commodified and packaged. And we were talking about this years ago when um, mindfulness became the rage. It was on the cover of Newsweek and a lot of magazines. And um, in fact, the term still hangs around Mick mindfulness. When, I mean, I think the, the most egregious example was when the army was using mindfulness to help its soldiers fight better. And it's like, I don't quite think that's really what it's about. It, you know, it, it's been um, colonized and appropriated in a way that supports, you know, uh, 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 productivity uh, and this, this, this capitalist, um, this system that we, is entrenched. And um, 
now this this cult of the expert has grown up around it and um, they quoted Jack Bol- excuse me they quoted Jack Cornfield and perhaps I don't know if it's a quote of his from some other place or if it's a part of the blurb that he wrote for um, Rick's book Buddhism is not a religion it's a science of the mind and to a certain extent I think that neuroscience has kind of corroborated a lot of the things that the Buddha was pointing to in his teachings like this mindfulness practice does does have a, a really beneficial on, impact on the brain and, and kind of fires up those parts of the brain that are connected to connect, um, compassion and empathy and um, this recognition of the connectedness of uh, beings, of people, and how we're not you know, just individuals, rugged individuals, which is, which is again, a, a, a cultural conditioning of the United States, this rugged individualism. But um, so mindfulness does have these aspects and that um, modern science points to it, but to not package it as here are 10 steps, do these things and be fixed, which is, I think, what is this article is pointing to. You know, and it makes sense because our culture tends to take over. And as the article says, make it safe and manage it. And, you know, Martin Luther, Reverend Martin Luther King's um, uh, holiday was last Monday. His birthday was last Sunday. And if you, his legacy, it's the same thing has happened to his legacy. His legacy has been managed. It's literally been whitewashed. It's been packaged. You know, everybody and his brother... Their brother is using uh, MLK quotes, most often out of context. And, you know, a couple of people I saw noted that a Gallup poll taken before he was assassinated showed that 75% of the people in the United States disapproved of what he was doing. But you probably can't find a single one of those people today um, to say, no, no, I thought he was great. He was great. You know, so hindsight tends to, we kind of co-op stuff and put it into packages the way we want it. And what they did in this article is they quoted Ajahn Chah, which I loved. And they said, um, Thai forest master Ajahn Chah taught that markers of expertise are only appendages. He said, we think they are real and carry them around with us. We carry possessions, status, name and rank around and that's true that's what we do we create this self-view this sakaya ditti this view of ourselves so that we can present to the world in a particular way this this stat should i put the initials of my degrees after my name yes or no um should how should we be seen how do we want people to know us um what do we call ourselves? We, you know, we have these achievements. We put, we put our certificates on the wall, and that's that's that I love is um, a thing. I just I just thought of this moment that you take these classes with these teachers um, uh, on Zoom, and then when you're done, they give you a certificate so you can get okay. I am now authorized to do this, or I'm now authorized to do that. And it's not that these things aren't beneficial. It's, I think, the way, the, the, what this article is pointing to is the way it's packaged. The Dharma has become packaged 
instead of a path to liberation, a path to end suffering, a path away from dukkha, this discomfort we have with the reality of existence, this discomfort we have with the human condition. So this attachment to credentialing, this attachment to expertise is just an attachment, which is one of the root causes of our discontent, um, wanting a particular thing. And so this article, plus the, um, the, the quotes I saw uh, earlier this week, wanted, made me want to revisit Ajahn Chah's wisdom. And um, so I think it's, it's a really sweet juxtaposition to this, um, this really, this, this uh, packaging of the Dharma. Um, and the first, the first little quote they had is great, and it, it reminds me of this um, essay that Ajahn Sumedho had written about, called To Let Go. Um, and Ajahn Chah says, Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. What you... When you walk, let it be, grasp at nothing, resist nothing. That's kind of the invitation of the practice this evening was just be with. Sati, translated as mindfulness, also means to be with. And that echoes, as I said, Ajahn Sumedho's uh, um, essay on letting go, which he says, just be an earthworm. You want to be, you want to learn Pali, you want to learn Sanskrit, you want to become a great expert in Buddhism, let it go. He said he did that practice for two years. Every time the mind went somewhere, he just said, let go, let go, let go. And so that is a really important foundational um, piece, I think, that's re when we find ourselves being drawn in this direction, it's like, ooh, I can take this class, ooh, I can go to this, this guy's an expert, this guy has this, or this person, this person, this person, it's just like, let it go, let it go, let it go. And another thing Ajahn Chah said along similar lines is he said, you are your own teacher. Looking for teachers can't solve your, your own doubts. Investigate yourself to find the truth. Inside, not outside. Knowing yourself is the most important. And this is really, I think, a challenging concept because we, looked, we can look to others to give us the answer, sometimes for the fix, you know, it's like I had a friend who used to say, tell me what to believe, because it's so much easier if somebody says, this is the way it is, these are the facts, if you follow these rules, it will always end up well, which is the root of fundamentalism, you know, it has to be this way, if you deviate, it's going to get ugly, so and, and don't let anybody else deviate, which is then when you other people who do something different and then you come down and you crush them and it's that, that aversion and that fear and all that stuff that's driving it. And so um, there, I think there's a way to recognize that we do need to have some people help us. And Ajahn Chah, excuse me, Ajahn Jeff talks about this, Tanisaru uh, Bhikkhu, who's down near San Diego. I know he's written about, 
you really can't trust your heart. You know, it's like follow your heart. When you're first coming to practice, your heart's mind was like diluted. I was, I was going, where's reality? I'm going over there. Where's my head? I'm going in a different direction because I don't want to experience this stuff. I didn't know how to greet it. So we do need to have people to help us, um, wise people on the path, people we trust, but not to see them as gurus who have all the answers. We run into trouble. So many organizations run into trouble when they put teachers on pedestals. We've seen this over and over and over again in multiple religious communities. We've seen it in multiple Buddhist communities. I mean, it's still happening. So to really not do that, but just to take what makes, um, offers us a, an understanding of the teachings. You know, it's really important. Um, you know, it's, it's being told what to do is a lot easier than doing the work itself. Um, it's, that's, that's, gotten so far away from the the Buddhist teaching of uh, ending and suffering and um, doing the work. Um, there's a there's a quote, another quote from Ajahn Chah says, um, we have to know the suffering. If we don't know suffering, then we can't know the cause of suffering. If we don't know the cause of suffering, then we cannot know the cessation of suffering. There's no way we can escape it. This is, the, this is the invitation of the Four Noble Truths. I think it was in um, After Buddhism by uh, Stephen Batchelor. He talked about this too. It's like we have to come face to face with our discomfort. We have to do the work. This is a Visuddhimagga. It's called the Path of Purification, this path of liberation where all this old conditioning is burned off. And so metaphorically, we sit in the fire. We just let this, we have to turn towards it. And nobody can do it for us. As much as we would like, if I give you $100 and you give me some books and a tape, you can see how old I am, a tape. Um, if you <laughs> give me the password to the webinar, then I will have all the answers, but it doesn't work that way. But we continue to search and we continue to look outside. And Ajahn Chah said, it's inside. We have to turn inwards. Um, you know, and how we do that, this, is, this comes back to the simplicity of this practice. He says, anything which is troubling you, Anything which is irritating you, that is your teacher. That is your teacher. I love that, you know, I always like to say, start where you are. What, where's the suffering in this moment? What's the, the trouble in this moment? Is it a loud neighbor who just annoys the hell out of you? What is it, an emotion that's, that you just kind of keep running from? A story? What is it? That is where your practice is. You know, um, even in, in simple meditation practice, some, you know, I had last year, my neighbors were doing something in their backyard. They were tearing up the, 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 the concrete that was there. So 7.15 in the morning, the jackhammer started during morning meditation. It was great. 
So it could either, that's the practice. How do I work with that? It's like I could be, eh, or it's like, oh, okay, here's the discomfort. How do I hold anger? And, you know, using the Buddhist teachings, because, you know, that's what the Buddha said when he was on his deathbed. His, his uh, uh, disciples, the monks, were like, oh, no, who's going to be our teacher now? And he's like, dudes, what have I been doing for the last 45 years? I've been telling you this stuff. Ehipasiko. Find your own way with these teachings. It's all laid out. You bring them in. Utilize them. Find some other people who have done it. You know, all these monks and nuns and wise teachers have been through it, have done the work. Find the people who have done the work and ask them how they've done it. How do you sit with this? You know, that's where it's, it's not packaged dharma, so here's the package, one size fits all. It's they help you turn towards. They help you with your path, you know. You know, the Buddha outlined this path. For Four Noble Truths, understand suffering, birth, death, loss. It's our wanting pleasant all the time, our inability to be with discomfort. And the, and the way out of that is the Eightfold Path. How to live in this world, how to understand the nature of existence, how to live in the world with harmony, how to live ethically. That's a huge piece of this that often, that I know McMindfulness was often criticized for, was the ethical piece of it was left out. You know, how do you show up with integrity in this world? How do you not just not cause harm, but how do you cultivate the good? That's all in the Eightfold Path. You know, living with... with uh, compassion and goodwill the sila the the ethical behavior piece of it is not just not killing or not telling lies or stealing but cultivate generosity cultivate compassion work to end suffering where you see it really important so there's an invitation in this practice to be um you know mahayana later traditions have have created the 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 bodhisattva um uh, story and that practice of uh, just working to end suffering for all beings. So there's this invitation to do good, not just gimme, 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 tell me what to believe. Um, the, uh, I was gonna, I've been thinking about teaching the paramis, which are these um, 10 qualities that traditionally are said to be necessary to have for awakening. And in the in the story, the Buddha didn't teach the paramis. He taught these particular he taught these qualities in various ways. But the they were put together in later um, as this this teaching of ten things. And it said that the Buddha lived multiple lives. I heard a couple of weeks ago somebody said like eighty six thousand lives, but he lived. Um, eons and eons and eons and each of these lives was dedicated to working towards developing these qualities and I'll, I'll just share the qualities uh, generosity that's an antidote to clinging and craving generosity so how does generosity show up in your life nobody can tell you that how do you struggle with generosity is that is that where your practice is 
virtue, ethical behavior, living with integrity, really important. Do you lie? I just thought of Santos, the new congressman, who, um, he's a pathological liar. I don't think he can help it. I don't think he can help it. You know, he lies when it would be in his best interest to tell the truth. But it's, you know, so is that where your struggle is? Um, renunciation, letting go of those things that cause discomfort to you. Knowing that would it would be better to not lie or not take what's not freely given or to um, let go of some habits that are unhealthy um, or that cause suffering, you know, let go of relationships or whatever. That's where your practice is. Practice renunciation. That's part of the second um, factor of the Eightfold Path, intention. Um, wisdom, the clarity to understand that everything is impermanent and to try and hold on to things that are going to change is going to cause more suffering. You know? Um, that we are conditioned beings. We are conditioned by our history. We are conditioned by society. We've got ancestral conditioning, you know? So to understand that and to try to disentangle from that, really important. And that there is discomfort in this life. Things are unpleasant. Is that where your suffering is? Energy, this, this willingness to let go if this is where, in practice, we can really see this, to see when the thoughts just kind of start taking over and to be willing to let go of those things that are not beneficial and to, to cultivate the beneficial, the being present, the being um, in the moment. Um, patience. I think it was Gil Fransdahl I heard say that patience is only necessary when we're unhappy with the way it is if we were happy with the way everything was we wouldn't need patience but um it's never goes the way we want it to go i was driving uh, i had a house guest this week and we were driving around um yesterday and i was going to take him down mulholland boulevard uh some mulholland drive some of you may know and a lot of it's closed because of slides from the mud and the traffic the just the line, the snaking up the windy road, it was like, oh, this is this needs some patience, okay. And then the people honking their horns behind you and you're like, where would you like me to go? <laughs> it's so it's it's so interesting. So maybe that's a place of suffering. Um, truthfulness, you know? Uh that speaks for itself. Determination, this willingness, this, 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 this willingness to stay the course and do, you know, do what has to be done. I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the um, five spiritual faculties and determination kind of reminds me of that first faculty, which is often said called faith, but I can also think of as trust or confidence. It's like, okay, I have this trust that if I keep doing this practice, I'm going to reap the benefits. I've already, because I have been practicing for a while, I've seen a tremendous transformation in my life, and I trust that if I keep doing this, it's going to continue. My suffering is going to continue to lessen, and so I have a determination to keep going in that direction. 
So, and then um, the last two is loving kindness, metta. The Buddha invited us to greet the world with friendliness, loving kindness, and then equanimity, which is this ability to be with whatever shows off it. If it's um, if there's a challenge, to greet it with compassion. If there's something good, to greet it with joy. Just to have this balance of an appropriate response. Not indifference, not whatever, but to be fully engaged, to experience it, but to react, respond with wisdom and compassion and, and clarity. So that is, I think, um, really this simplicity, this invitation to simplicity, this invitation to practice where you are, that's where your practice is, you know? To, to find some people who have been through it, the teachers reading the books, sitting, going on retreat, or sitting day-longs, or, or taking some time to yourself to do the practice, because um, that's what's really important. Practice, meditation practice, to begin to recognize the stories in your mind, and to seek out some um, spiritual friendships, kalyanamita, when necessary, to, to say, hey, this is what my experience is. What do you think? You know, that's where teachers are really helpful. This is, this is my experience. What, what do you think? Where, where can I go for more on this? And then turn to the, turn to the source, you know, the suttas. So, um, and let go of that commodification, you know, kind of step away. I, I got, as I said, you know, they used Rick Hansen as an example, and I really like him. I like what he offers. A lot of these teachers who are in this world of being packaged and and commodified are really solid Dharma practitioners, but we have to keep that um, that um, that invitation of the Buddha who said, "Don't believe it." He said, "Don't believe it just because I say it, and don't believe it just because somebody says it. See for yourself what works." if it takes you away from suffering or towards suffering. You know, try it in your life and see if it makes sense. And it's also important to uh, recognize that mindfulness is not a panacea. It doesn't work for everyone. Um, and when something is commodified and said, here, take this, it'll fix you, it ignores the reality of an individual's um, experience. A lot of folks with trauma, PTSD, it's not what you should be doing. Um, and there's a there's an awareness of that now. There's the book. Um, I have it. What is it? It's too far away for me to read, but it's called that. Um, you know, Trauma-sensitive mindfulness? Something like that. Trilevin. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. Trauma-sensitive mindfulness by Trelevin. Um, Yeah, to pay attention. It's not a, a fix for everyone. So to be cognizant of that is incredibly important. Incredibly important. And, and goes in the face of this uh, mindfulness commodification thing. So... Uh, we like to do that. It kind of, it's a shortcut that the mind really appreciates. It's the mind appreciates shortcuts, um, but it's not always the best thing to do. So 
see for yourself what makes sense. See for yourself what works and um, do what makes sense for you um, in a path of, of kindness, a path of wisdom, a path of compa compassion, and a path of not causing harm for you or others. So thank you, thank you, thank you, my friends, for your, uh, for your kind, kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.